What's going on, everybody? This is Brian Ward of the Dad Up Podcast, the podcast show for dads about dads being dads. I am super excited about the guest that I have on today. But before we get to that, if you have not yet subscribed to my show, please make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to another episode of Dad Up, everyone. Thank you guys very much for joining me. I'm excited for a good friend of mine that I have on the show. He and I haven't actually met in person, but the cool thing about all this technology and social media is that we've become friends through social media, and he and I have connected for several months now, probably close to a year now, uh, and he's doing some amazing things in the world, and he's a phenomenal husband and father. He's got some experiences that he's going to talk about, and uh, he's an author. He's a speaker. Uh, but more importantly, he is a husband and a father, and that's the point of this podcast. But listen, Brian, it's a huge pleasure to have you on, brother. Thank you very much for joining me today on Dad Up. Man, dude, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Every single time we connect, we always end up uh, learning something about each other and another way to grow. And so I always enjoy our exchanges, and this is just a great way to put it out into the world, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, he and before we started recording, he and I were talking about just kind of catching up on what's going on with us. And uh, I was just, we were talking about, uh, you know, everybody knows that I have, that I've been passionate about coaching sports and I've been doing it for 20 years. And, and last night at our sports bank, when I announced our, my retirement from, from coaching. So I'm excited for the next chapter. I'm sad that that chapter has ended, but it's an important part of my life through prayer and a lot of talking with my wife. Uh, I decided to move on from coaching and I'm excited about the prospect of what's out there next for me. Um, but Brian um, really poured into me as far as a coach goes. So I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate all the kind words you shared. Um, they really mean a lot. For my listeners who don't know exactly who you are, I want to know, I want you to explain to them who you are, kind of your back history, kind of your story, because you have a phenomenal story. Um, it's something that you're, that you really uh, share with others to kind of help them grow and learn. And uh, so give me the back history of Brian Bogart and where you've gone, where you've come from, yeah. where you're at now, and the amazing things you're doing now. Yeah. So I, I'll, I'll always start by just telling you about who I am now. And what I love is that you said I'm a husband and father first. That is absolutely the case. And that's one of the first things I always use to introduce myself. Yes, those are roles. Yes, those are identities. But those are also the things that I choose to invest in. And I will tell you that um, you'll understand why I say this in a minute. But the only thing binary in my world is my family. Hmm. Meaning if my wife and my kids are not good, it's the only thing that would cause me to walk away from everything we're doing today. So when I tell you that I'm a husband and father first, that's how serious I am. They are my everything. So I had to just say that. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, but being on the Dad Up podcast, man, I, I figured I could go there. Um, you know, here's the thing. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of backdrop because I think it's important to go all the way back, give you a little bit of context as to some of the things that shaped who I am today. And then we can delve a little bit more into some of the things that we're doing in the world. But, you know, I I'm going to ask you and everybody who's listening to just close your eyes for one second. And I'll tell you when to reopen your eyes. If you're driving, by the way, do not close your eyes. Keep them open. And I, I, I really want you to be safe. Um, but for everybody else, if you'll just humor me for a second, I want you to imagine going to a store and you have a successful shopping trip. You breeze through the checkout line. You walk out the front door. You feel the sunshine hit your skin. You look up. You feel the breeze through your hair. You got a pep in your step. You're going on with your day. And as you're getting up to your car, you start fumbling through your pocket to grab your keys as you approach your car to get in and go on with your day, you turn your head and you see a truck barreling 40 miles an hour right at you with no time to react. Mm. Go ahead and open your eyes. That's where this portion of my story begins. My mom, my brother, and I went to our local Walmart to get a one-inch paintbrush. And as we were headed back to the car, anybody who's known me for more than about four and a half seconds knows that I'm full of energy and vigor for life. So they aren't surprised to learn that I was the first one to the car. But this was back in the days, my friend, before there was key fobs. So I had to wait for my mom to literally take a physical key out, stick it in the door and turn it so we go on with our way. And her and my brother were a few feet behind me. Truck pulls up in front of the store and the driver and the middle passenger get out. Passenger all the way to the right feels the truck moving backwards. So Brian, he did what any one of us would do. Scoot over to put his foot on the brake. Now, what I hadn't really contemplated until recently, honestly, was it was just a physical movement from one side to the other to the truck to put his foot on the brake. But what I realized is if I'm sitting in a car, I'm probably going to panic a little bit. I might put a little bit of extra force into that brake. I'm going to lift my knee up and slam it down. Well, that's likely what happened, but he missed the gas or the, the brake pedal and all that force went into the gas, threw him up onto the steering wheel, up on the dashboard. And before you know it, he's catapulting 40 miles an hour across the parking lot, right at us with no time to react. 
hits our car, runs over me diagonally, tearing my spleen, leaving a tire track scar in my stomach and continuing on to completely sever my left arm from my body. Mm. So this was August 10th, 1992, 115 degree day. My mom and brother watched the whole thing happen. They look up and they see my detached arm laying in the parking lot 10 feet away. Now, fortunately for me, and I always have to say this is a part of the story, I am forever indebted to my guardian angel who was also there that day. There was a nurse that walked out of the store right when this took place. And she saw mm -hmm. the literal life and limb scenario that was in front of her. And I'm forever indebted to her for choosing to go into action versus going on with her day. She came over and stopped the bleeding on the main wound and saved my life. And she also instructed some innocent bystanders to run inside, grab a cooler and get my detached limb on ice within minutes to give me a fighting chance of saving my arm. If it wasn't for this woman, Brian, I either wouldn't be here with you today or I'd be here today with a cleaned up stump. That's just the reality. So I know you teed it up that I have an incredible story, but I'm sure that people were not expecting it to go there today, right? And what I can absolutely guarantee is, although I have a very unique story that obviously has years of recovery, over 24 surgeries and a whole lot that was involved in it, what I've realized is that we all have unique stories. So what's important is that we pause and become aware of the lessons that we can extract from our stories and then become intentional with how do we apply them in our lives. So I'll, I'll hit on two key lessons that have shaped my life, and then we'll take the conversation wherever we need to. The first is one that I learned early. You see, I learned very early not to get stuck by what has happened to me, but instead get moved by what I can do with it. And what I've learned in all of my time of doing this is that moved people move people. So now I'm in an effort to move more people. Second lesson didn't come right away. You see, at 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, I was really being guided through the process. So I was a little bit in a fog. My parents, however, were not. You see, my mom and dad um, were absolutely vividly aware of the unceasing medical treatments, years of physical therapy, and everything that was involved in recovery. And the idea of seeing their son grow up without the use of his left arm was a source of great potential suffering for them. Mm -hmm. So they willed themselves day in and day out to do what was necessary, to do what was tough, to ultimately embrace the pains required to ultimately strengthen and heal me. So whether it was intentional or not, what they did was they ingrained in me my second philosophy and way of living, which was to embrace pain to avoid suffering. And when this is done correctly, this is where we gain freedom. So I'll briefly touch on where these two lessons have led us to where we are today. Because the reality of it is it was these two lessons that not only helped me overcome this unique injury, how my business partners and I scaled our last business to over 15 million within the span of a decade. And now how we're flipping it on its head as a human behavior and performance coach and serial entrepreneur building businesses to impact who? Helping people become more aware, more intentional and become who they already are their most authentic selves. I believe this is when magic happens and the door starts to crack to perspective, motivation, and direction. And I also think this is when joy, freedom, and fulfillment can exist holistically. So that's why all of our entities are on a mission to impact over a billion lives as quickly as possible. Because we believe if we can reduce the level of suffering on this planet, that gives everybody the opportunity to stand on their own two feet, not only confident, but convicted in who they are, knowing that we can build a society and the environment around us that people won't just accept us, but will embrace us for exactly who we are. That's the kind of world I want to leave for my kids and my grandkids, brother. Hmm. Let me pause for a minute um, because um, you shared uh, a, a traumatic, I say a traumatic experience that was traumatic at the time, <clears throat> but was, uh, it was kind of a, an awakening, I guess, for not only you, but for your family, um, for your mom and dad. And, and I want to ask you, take, going back for a moment, uh, yeah. just to that, to that day, to those times, um, as a child, it can be tough for kids in particular. Uh, it can be tough for adults too, but it can be tough for kids in particular to go through such a traumatic experience and think, uh, that their life's ruined or over, or, um, not really sure of how to be motivated to be positive or move on or grow. Uh, do you attribute the level, I guess the level of growth that you took in that time of healing, uh, do you attribute it to your inner self being, or do you attribute it more to your parents or is it both? That's a great question, Brian. I think it's both. Um, I know it's both. The reality of it is there's no possible way I could have recovered without my parents mm. on so many levels, right? Not just the logistical elements and the support, but their mental toughness, their commitment is something that allowed me on the days that I struggled to use their strength instead of mm. my own. 
So I have to absolutely say that, which is also why I give absolute credit to my parents in so many ways, because I would not be here today if it wasn't for them. Um, there is an element of internal though, too. And there's also an element of external perspective that became very clear real, real quick. Now, I was one of those guys legitimately that when I, I, I was uh, 18 months old, I was just, just in a position where I was getting ready to do it. And I told my dad, literally at 18 months old, right before two years old, to take my training wheels off my 12-inch bike. And he said, you know, you're going to crash. And I was speaking relatively full sentences at that time. And I said, yeah, I know. And so my legs were not long enough to hit the ground. And I said, great, sounds good. I, would, I got on my road, but I couldn't stop. So I would crash it to stop, right? My whole narrative was always like, didn't hurt. So I had this thing from the time I was a kid, but, but this is a whole nother level, right? So I had to, I really needed those external perspectives. But I do remember waking up, laying in the hospital bed in the ICU in the first two weeks that I was there. Uh, there's not a lot from that period that I like vividly remember, but I remember feeling like I was in a dream. I woke up and I remember laying there feeling sorry for myself. Mm -hmm. Why me? Why did this happen? What's happening? What does my life look like? And, it, it, and again, with a limited seven-year-old perspective in the world at that point still, those were the thoughts and feelings that I was experiencing. Like I was sorry for myself. And that didn't last very long because we were in the ICU and all of the families that were in the ICU with us, their parents started coming up to us saying, we are so sorry for what happened to you. We're so sorry for what happened to you. What can we do to help? What can we do to help? We're, this is so traumatic. How do we help you? And then come to find out that almost every single one of their kids was laying in the hospital bed next to me or across the hall with a terminal illness, not knowing if they're going to live another 30 days. Mm. So at that moment, I didn't know if I would still have my arm successfully reattached. I didn't know if I'd ever have functional movement of it. I didn't know if I'd have like a happy, healthy, productive life. But here's what I knew. I knew I'd have a life. And so that was something that myself and my parents leaned into from a perspective standpoint. At that young say, of an age. Yeah. That, that you, that you realize that, that, Hey, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just want to capture oh, dude, that for a moment. Yes. At a, at a very young age, you thought, okay, this has happened to me, but I'm alive. Yeah. And I can go on. That's exactly right. Cause here's the thing I told you, I could have just as easily lost my life that day. Right. Right. And that was something that was very, very aware to me at that moment. And so, you know, I'm a believer that when you, when you brush death that closely, I think that your relationship with mortality changes. And I would tell you that although it didn't change in that moment, I was aware that I almost wasn't going to be here. Mm. I was aware that I could have died, that this dream that I thought I was living in might not have even been an existence of mine. Mm. At seven, I remember that. And so now do I have all the context, the ability to communicate around that, to, to really be able to explain that at seven holistically into the world? No, I didn't, but I know what I felt and I knew what I thought. And I remember those perspectives being something that really did drive me, but did I still feel sorry for myself in moments intermittently over the next five years, as I was struggling with therapy or 24 surgeries, or there was complications, or I almost lost my arm again. Yeah, I did. And so those are the things that you just don't really have perspective on. But to answer the one more thing, I want to give one more element of strength to my parents. Um, you know, I rebroke my arm when I was 20 years old, compound fracture. I almost lost it again. Went 10 months with it hanging by my side, went through seven surgeons who were afraid to touch me because of medical malpractice. They didn't want to screw it up. Mm. Um, I went through that period of time without my parents. Mm. I was away at Why? school. Okay. I was away at school. And I was in school. I had to figure it out. So not, it's not that they weren't there to give me support, but I wasn't physically in their house for them to do things for me. Right. So all of a sudden I'm having to button my pants again with one hand. I'm having to figure out how to do things again as an adult, just like I had to when I was seven. And it was that perspective that really honed in. Yeah, I do have a lot of internal strength because I made it through that time, but I'm not convinced I could have the first time without them. Hmm. I want to go back to something that you talked about um, <clears throat> when we were talking about uh, you're mentioning your parents and that, that they, were, they were really the driving force to kind of help you through this. Uh, you know, parents, uh, a lot of times parents, and this is a lot of a lot of the times I talk with parents about this is that parents um, don't understand the true impact of their emotions, their reactions to things that go on, not only in their lives, but their kids' lives. Yep. And it can either be for good or bad. 
but the way that they react, the way that we, and I'm talking to the parents that are listening to this or watching, the way that we react to things that happen to us or happen to our kids yep. is seen. It is. And I talk, I talk a lot about it on my show, but we, we, you hear the old, the, the old phrase, more is caught than taught, right? So it's seen from our kids how we react to things and how we respond to things. And the fact that your parents understood that, uh, recognize that. Now, you don't know as a child what was going on behind closed doors, right? What your parents are really upset about, crying about, scared about behind closed doors, but the fact that they were able to, I guess you could say, motivate you to be who you are today uh, is remarkable and a credit to them as parents. I, I, to them and to the credit to them, I appreciate that you said that and every bit of that, um, because you're exactly correct. I didn't realize until far later in life, how many times I would be frustrated in the moment because my parents were making me figure out how to tie my shoes with one hand, mm. even though it was easier for them to tie it for me because they knew that they had to prepare me to be able to be independent at some point. And then the difficulty of that moment, my mom would run around the corner and cry because she was trying to, in those moments, allow me to borrow her strength, right? So what she really did allow me to do is to lean into those little moments, to embrace those little pains so that I could actually give myself freedom, right? And, and consistently that has taken place time and time and time again. And I think because that was ingrained in me, um, again, whether intentional or not in every moment, mm -hmm. because that was ingrained in me, that's also very much a way that I view parenting today and I have two special needs kids who have their own challenges. And so we can look at those as excuses or we can look at those as this is a part of our identity. There's gifts and there's challenges that come with every element of what we factor into life. And so allowing kids to recognize and own who they are, learn to advocate for themselves, but also be able to stand on their own two feet, being able to do things that other people might have suggested they're not capable of is what it's all about. Because we've got to be their strength. We have to be their example. We've got to be their heart and their mind in so many positions in life. And so again, the beautiful part about this is I can give so much credit to my parents, but I'll also say that doesn't mean they did everything right. Right. But they did absolutely the best that they could given the resources, the knowledge, the, the intellect and the experience they had up until that point. And so the one thing I can absolutely say is, is anything that my parents didn't do right was never malicious, ever. It was always from the greatest intent. Now, again, what I'm convinced of is I'm going to screw up my kids. No matter how intentional I am, I'm going to miss something. They're going to have some pain and damage to unpack. I'm just hoping that they have to unpack less because we've given them all the tools they need. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I love that you're bringing up the fact that the challenges that you went through, I love that, that you phrased it that way because a lot of times parents look at things and go, this is a problem or we have a problem here. And I like to change that word from problem to challenge. This is a yeah. challenge because challenge you, challenges you can overcome, challenges right. you can fight through. Problems are a completely different animal. So parents, it's important to change the, the way that you talk to your kids too. And the words that you use, because those are, those are powerful um, for you as a dad now, as a yeah. dad, you have, you, let's talk about that. You have, so you have two kids, correct? Yep. yep. What are their, what are their ages? I have an eight year old boy and I have a six and a half year old daughter. And you talked about special needs. What are their, what are the, what, what are they dealing with? Our son is on the autism spectrum. He has ADHD and sensory processing. Um, he is also uh, in the gifted category. So it's a very interesting mixture. Um, and I don't say that gifted category to impress. I say it to impress on the point when you factor in all those things, it's just a, a challenging child, mm -hmm. uh, brilliant also. And our daughter, um, she has uh, hearing loss in both ears. She has uh, hearing aids in both ears. She also has uh, elements of, we believe she has dyslexia. And what we're also recognizing right now is that she has something going on from an intellectual processing standpoint, and it's not intelligence. Um, that's one of the things that's also really interesting that we learned with her and her evaluations. She's a one in 10,000 intelligence. Hmm. And we're dealing with that as a six-year-old and she has the highest emotional intelligence of any kid I've ever interacted with. But then she has a knowledge access problem from a processing piece. So, you know, we really lean into heavy social emotional learning for both of them. Um, 
but you know, that's what we've learned is every step of the way, my friend. Um, although there are elements of shock and surprise when you learn about different things that your kids might be affected by, there, what, what a lot of people don't talk about is that there's a grieving process to that. And what you're grieving is not the loss of your kid, but the loss of the vision you had for your kid based on what you thought was going to take place, right? We all, we all have children. We, we, have the, we bring them into the world and we just expect these like butterflies and sunshines and rainbows. And like, we're going to have this beautiful family and everybody's healthy. And at the end of the day, all of those things can be true, but that doesn't mean that there's not challenges along the way. Right. And so, you know, for me, it was one of those things where it's like, oh, well, what does autism mean for my son? What does that mean? Is it how it relates to interacting and building relationships? What does that mean for his future? What does that mean for his athletic ability? What does that mean for his relationships? And the same thing from hearing, right? We're starting to talk about um, truly therapy dogs for our daughter because we're already anticipating at some point she might not be able to hear a fire alarm without us. Or if she wants to have kids, hear the baby cry. And so we're trying to help anticipate all of the areas that our kids might benefit from additional services or support and integrate those into their life today so that it's just normal. Not something that all of a sudden is like, oh, I've got something wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with them. Our kids have different challenges. We're going to help them move through those challenges and be confident in who they are. So let me ask you something then, because that's, that's interesting that you're bringing that up. I think that I, I, I experienced now my boys, they're both adults, 23 and 20. And obviously we had challenges as they grew up. There were th mistakes that they made. There were mistakes that I made. Um, I can't, I don't have uh, the level of challenges that you and your spouse have with your kids. Uh, but I have talked to a lot of parents that are overwhelmed. Yep. They're uh, not, I don't want to use frustrated because that's the wrong word to use, but they're essentially overwhelmed with the uh, level of, um, I guess, Gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're overwhelmed with the amount. I don't even want to say work. That's not the right word either. Um, but the things that they have to do as a parent, because now it's not, like you said, it's not just this easy life of just raising kids. You have these yeah. other challenges that you have to deal with. What advice can you give to parents that may be in this rut of just feeling like, they're drained, they're overwhelmed, and they're not quite sure how to get out of it. How, what advice could you give to those parents? Well, so that is a very broad question because obviously yeah. the impact of all of those emotional drains can come in so many different ways. So I want to give that caveat before I answer that because uh, I would answer that question potentially 50 different ways depending on the context. Um, the first thing I would remind all of those parents is you're not alone. Right. I think that's one of the very first things that we started to realize is when you do have challenging children or you do have kids that might have unique challenges, um, it's something that's not always relatable, but it's also something that's not openly talked about by a lot of people. And so what we've found, because my wife and I've done a lot of advocacy work with other families to kind of give them perspective and also give them some strength or, or pathways to success in figuring out what they can do for their kids. But at the end of the day, that's one of the most um, unifying elements that we find is how isolated and alone so many parents with challenges with their children feel, right? I want to extrapolate that just a little bit further though, because how often does that exist in our own lives? We feel isolated. We feel alone. We feel frustrated. We feel unworthy. We feel defeated. And we may have externally a lot of people around us, yet we still feel alone. And so one of the things that we have to recognize is that when we feel at threat or exposed, right? Our tendency is not to be vulnerable. Our tendency is to protect ourselves. The human experience is rooted in kind of four areas, right? We all seek and desire to feel safe. We all seek and desire to feel protected. We all seek and desire to feel seen and understood. And we all seek and desire to feel connected. Those last two don't exist unless the first two do. Mm -hmm. So when we feel exposed, when we feel like something is extra challenging, something that somebody might not relate to, or something that we might be judged on, right? What happens? Our wall goes up. Mm -hmm. We protect ourselves to ensure that we feel safe. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're guaranteeing that nobody's going to see or understand us and nobody's going to connect with us because that's an impenetrable armor that we're putting around ourselves. So sometimes what we do is it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because we protect ourselves and attempt to keep ourselves safe, but we then isolate ourselves even further. And so one of the things I would say is you are not alone. And I would say, reach out and try to ask for help. Figure out who in your world might have something relatable Start talking to other parents around what these challenges look like, not from a position of 
I'm ashamed that I'm challenged, that my kids are challenged in this way, but from a position of, Hey, my kids have unique challenges and I want to give them all the resources I possibly can to be successful. When we do that, is it more of a drain on us as parents? Yeah, it can be in the short run, especially. Right. And so our last three to four years in our house has been very challenging, not just because of the timing of both of our kids and learning in the services and all the PT and OT and everything that we've done to support our kids. But oh, by the way, in the midst of COVID, in the midst of them starting elementary school, virtual learning, the impact on that with a kid on the spectrum and a daughter who can't hear is significant, right? They feel even further isolated and misunderstood. And so part of this is we have to recognize that one, we've all been in a unique trauma these last couple of years. So the state of overwhelm is something that everybody feels as a parent. I don't care what age your kids are. If you have kids living in your home, you're experiencing a higher level of stress and anxiety than you have probably at any other point with them in your house. Mm -hmm. You're not alone reach out because it's through community and connection that we can move forward and give these kids the best opportunity possible. Yeah, absolutely. Reach out. I think that's an important uh, factor for us as parents. And listen, you don't have to have, you don't have to be a parent that has these kinds of challenges that Brian's talking about. You can still reach out. You can still be part of different uh, parenting groups uh, to kind of help navigate this thing called parenting that, that can be tough and challenging in itself. Um, it's like the hardest thing I've ever done, brother. (laughs) (laughs) To say it's tough and challenging is such an understatement. Like, I wish somebody would have told me like, Hey, it's going to be the hardest thing you're ever going to do in your life. Okay, cool. (laughs) Do I really want kids? Right. I mean, it's, it's amazing, but it's really hard. It's not just tough and challenging. (laughs) Right. No, I, 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 I joke about that with, with guys that, uh, that aren't dads. I can't, I can't explain to them what it's like to be a dad to somebody that's not a dad or, or, you know, that's not a mom. Like you just can't explain it um, because there's so many joys around it. And there's so much, uh, I mean, it's this new love. You can't even explain the love behind it, but it's this new love, this new joy, but it's this new set of challenges uh, regardless of your situation. So uh, yeah, I I do want to touch on something though real quick, because I know that uh, you have young kids uh, and I agree with you, parents should seek out help and, and guidance from others, help from others. Um, but as you're raising these young kids, what is your goal for them? What is your hope for them? Because you don't know what life's going to bring their way when they start to hit the teenage years and all that yep. kind of stuff. They have, there's a whole set of other challenges they're going to have to deal with. Um, but what is your hope for your kids? You and your wife both, what is your hope for your kids? As yeah, it's really simple. Um, We want our children to absolutely know who they are and be absolutely confident and convicted in who they are because who they are is perfect. And so what we have to help them do is to navigate the world that might not understand who they are and allow them to advocate for themselves in a way that they can stand on their own two feet, very confident in all of those things. We believe that if our kids love themselves Mm -hmm. and they are solid in who they are, then it's much easier for them to love others and protect others, which is something that both of our kids have a natural tendency to do. And so I'm less concerned about the grades in school. I'm less concerned about certain things. What I'm very concerned about is that they know who they are and that they give 100% effort in everything they do. And when they do those things, we genuinely believe it'll set them up for the greatest amount of success they possibly can. Because I'll tell you, I lost who I was and I've spent the better part of a decade finding that person again. Right. How many times are parents having to unwind their own situations to get back to who they are because of some generational pattern, some pattern in upbringing, some emotional trigger that's kept them stuck. So what we're trying to do is cause as little damage as possible and give them as much support and also allow them to know they will never be alone. And that's important for our parents to understand is that as as we're raising these kids, regardless of the things that they're going through as children, uh, it's important to help them understand who they are uh, and promote that, um, help guide that, help lead that. Uh, I talk about uh, on my show a lot with my boys, even though they're older, you know, I did my job as a dad. I got them to the adult ages where they're now independent and can function themselves uh, free of their mom and dad. Uh, but I'm still a guide for them. I'm still a support system. And that's always going to be. So yes, the part of me raising up boys is over, but now I get to enjoy the part of me guiding them uh, in the decisions that they make and the decisions that they make are completely independent of us. So they can ask my advice and I can give it and they can take it or leave it. And that's okay with me. 
And, you know, honestly, Brian, that was something that I promoted to them as they grew up. You know, I said, listen, this is, I'm always going to be your support system. I'm always going to be your guide. I like to call it because I've been a coach for so long. I like to say, I'm always going to be on your team. Yeah. I'm always going to have your back. And uh, I get, it touches me because I get emotional about it because I'm always going to be their support system. I'm always going to have their back. I'm always going to be on their team, regardless if they do right or wrong. Right. And I, my wife and I were really good about that with our boys. We wanted them to be comfortable in who they are and trust that they that our home is a safe space for them to come talk to us if they need to. And that's something that parents need to understand too, to have your kids be in a safe space in your home and know that, Hey, for lack of better words, my door is always open for you. That's right. And it will always be open. And if you've done something wrong, Hey, yes, I'm a parent. I may be disappointed, but that doesn't mean I love you any less. That doesn't mean I'm going to treat you any different. I'm always going to be there to, to back you. We'll figure it out. It's a challenge, not a problem. Right. That's right. So um, that's awesome. I love, I love the fact that you're helping your kids at such a young age, Brian, that's powerful at such a young age, helping them to discover who they are now. So that way, when they do hit kind of those rough teenage years and then they get, and then they hit life as adults and, you know, life can hit them in the chin and knock them on their, off their feet for a minute, uh, that you're helping them understand that now and, yeah. and setting them up f- hopefully for success, because I know that ultimately you want them to be good human beings, but you want them to be successful in everything that they do. Um, so that's awesome. Um, let me just touch on one more thing and then I'm going to let you go. Yeah, brother. What, uh, what would you say to new dads right now? I know that you're, I, I call you a fairly new dad, even though you're, you got kids. Well, compared to you, I'm a rookie, man. <laughs> so what would you give, what advice would you give to new dads or about to be guys that are about to be new dads? What advice would you give to them as a dad? God, I, how much time do I have? <laughs> All the time you want, my friend. So the very first thing I'm going to say is, is regardless of whatever comes out of my mouth uh, right now, the, uh, the first piece of advice I give to any new parents is listen to yourself because there's a lot of noise and a lot of opinions on how you should parent. And I want to be really clear that if you trust yourself, you lean into what you feel is right. More often than not, it will be. And so give yourself that grace because there's a lot of parental shaming going on there around this, that, or the other thing. If you're doing the best you can in any given moment, that's the best you can do. So that's the first piece that I have to say. The second is, especially for men, though, this is what I really want to um, highlight, because I, I did not understand this until recently. Mm. Um, as men in particular, we carry a very strong energy in the house. And very typically, our masculine energy is what allows our environment to feel safe. Mm-hmm. We are the protector in so many ways, right? And, and through that, we can truly create an environment that's beautiful for everybody to be enriched. But what I also didn't realize for a very long time is how sensitive that environment is to even small shifts in my energy. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've shared with you and I've talked about publicly is that I realized over the course of the last 12 to 18 months that I had a really deep and hidden level of anger in my life, mm-hmm. so deep that it could barely be excavated. And what I didn't realize is that that was something that I inherited. It really was a generational pattern. There were certain things that were, it was tied to that it developed in my world. My pain and my arm were one of them that I just was unaware of. But the reality of it is, is if your kids are ever in a position where they don't feel safe around you, you are the problem and you are inhibiting their growth. They are very delicate and they are going to receive and absorb everything. And from a little age, they're going to start learning how to protect themselves and create distance with you. Mm -hmm. What I see so many fathers doing is everything they want with their wife and their kids is right in front of them, but they don't recognize that the reason they're losing it is because of them, Mm -hmm. because of the way that they interact, because of the way they treat. And I'm not talking about screaming, hitting or breaking stuff necessarily. Right. Little nasty facial expressions, a little bit of tone or, or energy behind your voice can be all it takes to create an unhealthy environment that is no longer protected by you. In fact, they're protecting from you. Mm-hmm. And so as a man, always raise your level of awareness around the energy that you have when you enter into an environment with your kids and your spouse. 
And if you can keep that in the top of your mind always, and how do I keep a soft front so they always have a place to land, but a strong spine so I can protect them and know what's right and wrong, that will be the way to guide your path forward. So I just really want people to learn and take the dummy. I, I paid the dummy tax. I almost lost everything in my world because of me. If you can learn this and just embed this from an awareness standpoint, I promise you it will pay dividends. Absolutely. I'm glad that you brought that up. I'm glad you mentioned that because it's important. And you're right. Men are the biggest culprits behind this. They are the, they are the ones that really set the tone in the home. And I think like you, I, you know, this, I, I attribute this, my own anger issues that I had as my kids were growing up. I attribute this to how I was raised in the environment that I was in as a child. And then also because I spent time in the Marine Corps, I think that that played a part yeah. in it as well. So I, I kind of have pinpointed those two areas of, of areas that have kind of directed who I was as a dad and a husband. Right. And it, it took a lot of work and listen, I'm still going to make mistakes. And Brian, you're going to make mistakes too. Every day. <laughs> so dads, remember this, you're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. But as long as, like Brian said, as long as you recognize that, and I want to add something to what he was talking about, but as long as you recognize it, but can go to your kids or go to your spouse and go, I messed up. Yep. I own what I did. I own how I reacted. And I want you to know that I'm doing everything I can to make sure that doesn't happen again. I'm going to work on that. I promise that's my commitment to you. I love you. Do you forgive me? If you can say those words, that goes a long ways because you're right. Brian talked about it. The kids start to build this defense mechanism up at a very young age based on how we react to things as parents. And this doesn't just go for dads. This can go for moms too. But if you can own it and acknowledge it and let them know that you're sorry and that you're going to work on it to get yeah. better, that lowers that defense mechanism. It doesn't lower it all the way. They're still going to have, there's still going to be a little bit of uh, uh, a little bit of untrust there, but it's going to lower it. And the more yeah. that you work on it, it'll start to, those walls will start to come down. Uh, and it's important for our kids to understand that. Can I expand on something you just said? Because I think it's really, really important what you just talked about. Because I talk about this often is that we are inevitably through our emotional triggers going to react and we will create damage, right? And that's what you just talked about. Damage is going to happen and it's guaranteed. It all matters in the repair. Absolutely. And so what you just walked through was an outline to start to repair. One thing that I want to say though is, is, is you hit on two points in there that I think are extremely important for people to recognize. You're the last thing you said in the narrative when you said is, and do you forgive me? Mm -hmm. Guess what? They're not always going to forgive you right away. Right. And they're not always going to release the energy right away. And in fact, in my case, the anger had existed for so long. It took months before my wife started to actually forgive me because she had to learn and trust that the new pattern wasn't going to be repeated in the old pattern. So forgiveness doesn't come just because you attempt to uh, take repair, but that's the first step in it. And just because that wall doesn't go down right away, they may forgive you. And that wall might not go down hundred percent right away. But again, it's through regular and consistent approaches of you showing that your best effort, trying to always consistently improve and communicating that creates new patterns, because this is what I talk about. This is where we can break the generational pattern. I, I my wife and I can trace our triggers and our reactions back three generations. We mm. don't want to pass them on to our kids. And so we're being very intentional knowing that we are right. And I can tell you that Two, two and a half years ago was the very first time that my son was old enough. He was five and a half or six at the time. And he did something that I reacted to. And I saw a visible wince. Mm. He literally was like this. Now I hadn't ever hit my kid. It wasn't anything like that, but my energy had elevated so much that if I see my kid wincing out of protection for himself, that tells me absolutely no questions asked. I'm out of line. Right. And so that was one of the beginning moments of me starting to recognize that I'd created that pattern and I was the only one who could break it. Yeah. Um, wow. I know that I, I can picture that, you know, as you, as you, as you tell that story, I can picture that now that, that hasn't happened for me, but I can picture as if it did. Um, and that, that second of seeing the expression and the movement and the body language of your child. Um, 
can scare a parent. Oh, it should. Terribly. It should. It should scare a parent. Uh, I know that there are issues in families, uh, in the family dynamic. There, are, there are issues where you know what the dad wants the kids to be afraid of them, and that is the absolute wrong thing to do with your Agreed. kids. Agree. Uh, your kids should not be afraid of you. Yes, there should be. I want to say they shouldn't be afraid of you, but there should be a level of respect with you. Respect is different than fear. Exactly. So respect and authority are different than being fearful. And, uh, I can, I can just imagine if that happened in my situation with my kids, because there were times, Brian, that I lost it as a dad. Right. Um, and there were moments that, yes, I could see the fear in their eyes, uh, or my wife saying, Hey, time out. You need to separate yourself from the situation. Um, I want to encourage dads, as I kind of mentioned that I want to encourage dads if that happens and your wife says, Hey, time out, let me handle it. You don't need to, you don't need to get this ego. You don't need to get yeah, this chip. Don't on get your defensive with that. Let it happen. Yeah. No, just step away because someone else is noticing something and maybe you are not in the, in the, in the, in, 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 you're not in a level that you'd recognize it, but someone else does. And it's time to step away. Um, there are moments when you need to say, Hey, uh, I'm not, I'm not in a good space right now. I can't handle this situation. And that's why you have your spouse there to say, Hey, let me take it for you. You go take a walk, yep. go, go catch a breath, take a walk, listen to some music, do what you, go do a, do, go do something. And so I think it's important for dads to understand that there were, there were times when, when I got upset and my wife would say like, you know what, you're stressed out. You're, you're tense right now. You need to go for a run. Like, cause I, yeah. I enjoy running. So you need to go for a run and, and just kind of separate yourself from the situation. It's important for, for parents to understand that because our kids are relying on us to provide, as I said earlier, this safe space for them. And regardless of the situation that they have put themselves in good or bad, bad in this situation where they're triggering something in you, um, you have to recognize it as parents that, Hey, we're still providing this safe space for our kids. And we don't want them to come home from school, fearful to come home from school. Because what's going to happen is when they do start to hit those independent years where they're off doing their own thing with their friends and all that kind of stuff, you're going to see less and less of them. Mm -hmm. They're not going to talk to you when tough times come their way. They're not going to talk to you. They're going to seek help elsewhere. And that help may not be good influence, may not be good help. And I think about that with my own kids. And I know, and I'll just give you this advice, Brian, as a dad of young kids, um, it's important as parents for us to keep up communication with our kids, even at a mm -hmm. young age. Um, I always told, as I said earlier, I've always told my kids, they could talk to me about anything. My door is yeah. always open. I'm on their team, that kind of thing. Um, because if they understand that yep. and that, and they know that that's there for them and you've proven that that's there for them when they do hit tough times in t as teenagers, a bad breakup, bad grades, being bullied at school, all those different things that happen in life for kids. Uh, they're going to know that they can come to you. That's right. Go, dad, I'm, I'm feeling something right now. Let's hear it out. I, I tell this story. I've told this story a few times. I had a situation with my boys. Do you have a minute? I have a situation yeah, with my boys that, um, you know, I've coached their sports from the age of four all the way up through high school uh, for them. And uh, my young, my older son, uh, we were a big baseball family. And I've told this story a few times on my show, but we were a big baseball family and uh, my older son was playing baseball and I was his coach and uh, he got to a point in his life. He was about 10. He got to a point in his life that he was playing baseball and basketball. And he, uh, he, we left, a, I can't remember if it was a game or a practice, but we were driving home and he said, dad, can I ask, can I tell you something? And I said, yeah, what's up? And he goes, no, I, I need to, I need to, I need to let you know something. And I'm like, dude, what's going on? Everything. Okay. And he goes, well, I don't want you to be mad at me. And I'm like, come on, you know, just tell me what it is. You know, I mean, Hey, I might be disappointed, but I'm not gonna be mad. Let's talk. Let's talk it out. He goes, um, 
I don't want to play baseball anymore. Mm. And I go, okay. And I said, I asked him, I said, why, why don't you want to play? And he goes, I just don't, I don't like it. I don't like playing baseball anymore. And I said, so we had two rules in our home. They had to do something outside of school. It didn't have to be sports, but it had to be one of our rules too. extracurricular activity, right? They got to do something outside of school. And the other thing is if whatever it is they're doing, they have to see it through until an end point. So for us, for sports, yeah, end of a season or something like that. Exact same rules in our house, by the way, a thousand percent. I love that. So that was our rule. So uh, when he told me that we, I think we were halfway through the season or whatever. And I said, well, that's fine. What do you want to do though? You got to do something. He goes, I just want to focus on basketball. And I said, cool. And he goes, you're not mad. And I go, no, I'm not mad. If you don't want to play baseball, I don't want to force you to play baseball. Um, I said, but you do know we have to finish the season. And he goes, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, I, I get that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish the season. And I said, cool. And he goes, but you're not like disappointed or anything. I go, no. if you don't yeah. want to play baseball, you don't want to play baseball. So I share that example, and I know it's, it's a relatively minor um, situation or challenge that we went through as a, as a dad and a son. But I share it because he was at a level, an age where he understood that, hey, I can still talk to my dad about something that's bugging him and feel safe talking to him. That's my whole point in telling that story is that he felt safe enough to come tell me something that he thought that he thought I was going to be disappointed about, that he thought I was going to be upset about. And yet he still came and talked to me about it. So it's important for us just kind of wrapping this up in a little bow. It's important for us to understand as parents that as Brian had talked about, as I had had talked about, that we have conversations with our kids starting at a very young age and letting them know that it's safe and uh, they can trust us to be their support system and their guide. So what you also just demonstrated though, is how much our kids actually seek our validation, approval, love and connection. Absolutely. Right. And his fear there was mostly that the one man that he looked up to the most, admired the most, who'd given him that safety and protection that he was going to disappoint or let down. And he was afraid of what impact that might have in your two interactions or how you might react. Showing that he actually not only put himself in a vulnerable position because of the safety that you created to talk about it through communication, but that you also gave him the validation that he actually needed in that time versus saying, well, buddy, like, why not? Or tried to convince him or shame him about the decision, telling him that he was empowered in that gave him all the validation he needed. And so your relationship was immediately matched, but how often do we as parents react in that scenario? Even if we're not mad or upset, but we'll try to challenge it or make him do something a little bit further, right? right? What you did is you just received it. You heard him, you processed, and that gave him the level of respect he needed from you. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's something that, uh, you know, my boys to this day, I mean, my older son's 23, he's out of college, working a corporate job. He's living at home, saving money. Um, I, I, you know, I love that he's here, but I can't wait till he goes that kind of thing, you know, cause it's like, you know, so he's saving money and all that, but, um, he still comes to me, you know, I'll ask him, Hey, how was your day? You know, he works remote right now. So he's in sales and he works remote. And I said, how was your day? And he's like, oh, it's good. I had this meeting. How'd that meeting go? Oh, it was all right. You know, and we talk about things and it's so cool. And I tell parents, I, I tell parents all the time, like they say, they say, you know, you can't be your kid's friends. Yeah, you can. You can be your kid's friends. You can be your kid's friend. Now, again, going back to the level of respect and authority, they need to know that they have, a, they have to have a level of respect and authority because you are the leader in the family, you and your wife are the leaders in the family. Um, but for him to be able to come to me and just tell me how his day was, and then us just chat it up. And my younger son's 20 and, you know, they're two of my best friends and I love That's it. Awesome. I love it. And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm excited for their journey uh, as they go through life, um, where it's going to lead them, but I'm always here to help them. I'm always going to be here to guide them. I'm always going to be here to support them. And I'm always going to give them my feedback if they ask for it. So, um, Brian, we went long and I apologize, but, uh, I enjoyed the conversation. You shared a lot of wisdom, a lot of insight, not only with the stuff that you went through, but the way that you and your wife are bringing up your kids, which is remarkable. Um, if my listeners wanted to look you up, learn a little bit more about you, what's the best place for them to do that? Yeah. If you want to go to, um, uh, anything on social media, I'm at Bogart Brian. And if you want to check out our website, you can go to brianbogart.com. That'll give you a funnel to a whole bunch of different places. I say funnel. 
I'm not funneling people. I mean, a funnel into our world, not you're going to be getting, getting funneled if you go there. So uh, we put a lot of free stuff out because we recognize that to impact a billion lives, 99.999% will never pay us a dollar. So um, if something moves you, all I ask is you move it through the world, turn your phone and show it to somebody. I don't care about the vanity metrics. I care about impact. So I guess I am asking if you got moved at all by this conversation, please move other people and be a part of the collective impact because we all need to be pulling in the same direction. Absolutely. Um, well, listen, Brian, thank you for sharing that. Uh, I agree. It's the same thing I promote on the show. My, my, the point of my show, I don't, I don't make money doing this show. Uh, the point of my show is that if I can impact one family, if I can impact one dad, one mom, if I can impact kids uh, with this show, just one, then I've done my job. And if you're talking to you know, your neighbor uh, shoot, I was at the sports banquet last night and they were announcing about the show, telling people to go listen to it. Um, if, if, if you have a neighbor that's going through something or you're good friends with your next door neighbor and he doesn't know about the show, just tell him about it. If he wants to go check it out, great. If he doesn't, that's okay. But it's yeah. just sharing it, just sharing the message because my goal is just to impact lives, change families in a positive direction to bring up the next generation in a positive way. But Brian, I am super thrilled that you came on the show. I, I cherish and appreciate our friendship. Look forward to growing it even further. And I'm proud of who you are, who you've become and where you're going as well. Um, good luck to you and uh, definitely looking forward to staying in touch, brother. Well, thank you, brother. I, uh, I'm equally grateful for who you are. And I'm also grateful for you to have built a platform for me to come in and pour some good into the world through you. So uh, yes, our relationship is just beginning. And we'll talk soon. Awesome. Thank you very much, Brian. Uh, listen, everybody, thank you again for joining me on another episode of, and should say joining me and Brian on another episode of Dad Up. I appreciate it. Look forward to hearing from you. Make sure you go check out and see the things that he's doing on his website. Uh, reach out to him, send a message to him. He'd love to hear from you. He'll respond. Uh, and do me a favor. If you haven't subscribed to my show yet, may, please make sure you do that on YouTube, uh, all everywhere you can get the data podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a rating, leave a review about the episode. Let us know what you thought. But I look forward to seeing you all on the next episode of Data. Thanks for listening to another episode of Data. Make sure you guys subscribe to my podcast and my YouTube channel. And do me a favor, leave me a rating and a review. We'd love to hear from you to see what you think of the show. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes coming up each and every week. Thank you for listening. This is Dad Up.